Welcome to the Center for Internet Security's podcast, Cybersecurity Where You Are. Cybersecurity affects us all, whether we are at home, managing a company, supporting clients, or even running a state or local government. Join CIS's Sean Atkinson and Tony Sager as they discuss trends and threats, ways to implement controls and infrastructure, explore best practices, and interview experts in the industry. We are here to bring clarity to these complex issues to bring confidence in the connected world. Hello and welcome to Cybersecurity Where You Are. I'm Sean Atkinson, CISO here at the Center for Internet Security. Very special show that we have for you today. What we are celebrating here is the 20th anniversary of the MSISEC, the Multi-State Information Sharing and Analysis Center. We're going to start with working and discussing the thought of the MSISEC with Will Pelgrin, founder, currently CEO of CyberWire, and at this point, we'll move and then transition to Tom Duffy, who was a senior vice president, now retired, of the MSI SEC and chair of the MSI SEC. And then finally, we'll talk with Karen Sarati, current vice president of stakeholder engagement. So, Will, I uh, wanted to ask and pose this first question to you. Um, what was it like at New York State when you first started the MSI SEC? What was the environment? What was the need to build uh, such a capability? Um, thanks, Sean. Um, really important question. Um, if you recall, if we go back in time and think where we were as a state, as a country, as a globe, it, um, 9-11 had just occurred. Um, we were all impacted by that horrific event in so many different ways. I was the head of the Office for Technology at the time and with the, for the governor and, and helping on the technology side of the house of being restored, um, what we learned was that there were a number of things that we thought were in place that really weren't in place and I don't think anybody had in place. So it wasn't a New York state issue, it was really national and potentially global issue of our infrastructure, uh, when those buildings came down, sadly our, our technology infrastructure also got damaged uh, significantly. So we basically went dark that day. Um, and during that, that response time, one of the things that we were trying to do very quickly is to have information sharing on a level that made sense. So it started from the physical side of the house. It started with the Homeland Security Advisors. They were brand new. So you had 9-11 and then in 2002, I believe it was around sometime in 2002, the Homeland uh, Security Advisors came to be. And in New York, they started with the Northeast states. And I was brought in to, to chat about the technology side, the digital side, and um, the cyber side of the house and got such a great response from the, the physical people about that, um, started to think, well, we really needed to start sharing uh, beyond um, the physical and bring in the technology and the digital side of the house. So it, it was really a, a, a way to look at data uh, and information, because there was a lot of information out there. It was just, it was just, just sort of in disparate areas and it was, not in a way that we were all seeing very common, uh, even through, through different optics, very common approaches to what was going on. So 
it just made sense uh, to me. We had created, again, after 9-11, a public-private partnership, bringing in a lot of the private sector and the public sector in New York to, to sort of talk about if this ever happened again, you know, what would our response be? How could we be more resilient? What are the dependencies? Uh, what are the interdependencies? So, you know, we were always looking, sadly, I think, from all our perspective, we were looking at, who am I dependent on? I got to make sure they're there in a time of crisis. But you also have to think about who is dependent on us and that we have to be there for them during that same type of, of event. So having wonderful relation, uh, conversations and, and, and building relationships and, and dialogues and, and systems to start talking between the private and public sector was really um, one of those aha moments for me. And so um, started to see, you know, in the, the, the states, who else was having similar issues. I gave a, a speech after 9-11, I think it was probably in 2002, it was to, I believe, um, the National Association of CIOs at the time, or, or technology group, but it was a lot of the states were there. And, and they were, and as everybody was, was so um, sympathetic and had so much empathy for what everybody was going through, but in, in New York as well, how can we help? What can we do? And so, um, we just started since there was a Northeast state sort of Homeland Security sort of subgroup. We started, I started calling all those Northeast states and said, do you have somebody that looks like uh, what I do? And and if you don't, that doesn't matter. Just let's bring somebody into the fold. So that's how it actually started. So we actually kicked off with a, a small meeting with uh, the Northeast states and in Florida. <laughs> so Florida became a Northeast state for that, that, that meeting. And we had a common sort of, uh, approach to it, which is let's do the right thing for the right purpose, the right way. And that uh, collectively we're going to be much more powerful than we would ever be individually. Wonderful. Wonderful. And um, since then, and so we'll obviously now celebrating the 20th anniversary of that idea, your thought and being bring in, brought in to review with representatives and uh, again, your Northeast cluster with uh, Florida being then represented. <clears throat> what were some of the challenges that you had faced at that initial point in time? And then how were those alleviated to now bring so that it was truly multi-state in terms of the growth uh, that you had first started to see? There were a lot of different challenges, and I'll, let me see if I can highlight a, a few of them. One of the big challenges for a while, so to answer your, your question that I felt, is the stickiness of the multi-state outside. So it became very people-oriented, very people-specific. So, you know, I got a relationship now with Sean, and then all of a sudden Sean leaves. There was nobody in that office that may even have known at that time who we were. So we were starting over frequently in developing that that relationship. One of the things that I'm so proud of of what has happened over the years, and this has nothing to do with Will Powergrid, but with you know everybody else at, at CIS and in the multi-state, Tom Duffy and Mike Alaperti and you know Karen Sarati and I mean on and on and on of people who through the, the time that we were all together, um, we were able to create a, a 
a, a stickiness of, of, of our organization within each of the states and, and within each of the sort of that if somebody did leave, it wasn't like, who's this multi-state? What is this? Do we have to rethink it? Or, you know, I'm a big believer this was not about politics. This was not a bipartisan effort. It was a nonpartisan. And I used to use that term all the time. We could not have anything to deal with it. So it didn't matter what administration you were. It didn't matter who you were, you know, in, in that uh, didn't even matter what time. I mean, anybody, I, I'm a lawyer by education. I said, even lawyers come, you know, you know, we'll find the right person ultimately to fill that seat. But it was better to have somebody in that seat than not to have that seat. So I think the, the, the hardest thing was the turnover when people left and making sure that this, because it was so important to make sure it, it continued for the country uh, um, and for our, our, all our, our welfare that it did continue. So that was, I think, the, from my mind, one of the hardest challenges. Wonderful. I think, you know, when I look at it, Will, and, and you know, I joined the organization just over <laughs> five and a half years ago and just seen such tremendous growth, but the the nurturing element of that. And, you know, I, I attested this to Tom Duffy when we spoke um, with yeah. him, and it was the the personalization that he had instilled. And I believe that was instilled from you and just the way you would approach the, I love that term, the stickiness of the representative capabilities that you're trying to provide, right? We're all in this together. It doesn't matter which side of the aisle you're on. We need to improve and, and create a capability in this space. And so I truly attest to one of the facts here that one of the elements of success is that mentality being able to be nurtured uh, and aligned to really that approach of then integrating, uh, and you can see where we are now with our membership, nearly 16,000. Um, what other elements, Will, do you attribute to the success uh, of the MSI sec from where it first started to where obviously you've seen it grow um, to today? I think you're right, Sean. I think the personalization of, of our approach was really important. This was very personal to all of us. I don't mean in just New York, but anybody who was involved in it became very personal. It was not about my way. I really was very, um, I never wanted to even see my name any place. It didn't matter who Will Pargon was. It was that there was a collective effort that we needed to come together. And it wasn't even about a singular way. You know, it had to be a common way. So people that said, you have to follow this path and you had to do this. It was, no, we just need to come together. And it was um, basic core principles that we had, which is one, trust is earned, you know, not by title, not by anything else. Trust is earned, that we would earn your trust. Two, that you don't have to share anything. So there was no requirement that you even needed to, to you know, once you signed the dotted line to joining the the, the multi-state that you had to share everything that you you found uh, and that we would give more than you got back. So, uh, and the other fundamental principle was that it had to be free. We were in a place and time that security couldn't be for those that could afford it. It had to be for everybody and that we had to have it so that they, uh, there weren't just different levels of information sharing based upon how much you gave or you didn't give. So it had to be voluntary. It had to be free and it had to be that, um, you gave what you thought you could and there's not money, but, but information. And that, that would grow over time because people would trust us. People would trust the environment. People would trust the, the collective. And um, I think that really helped, uh, helped us move forward much more quickly than if it was um, 
rigid. And as I said, you know, I, I'm a lawyer and I, I, one of the things we did say, we, we didn't even have non-disclosure agreements originally. I said, you know, for me to get 50 states, lawyers of every state to sign a single document that says you can't, you know, I said, they'll, they'll come later on. So that's why you didn't, you know, you didn't have to share. Um, and, you know, let's keep the, the, the those, those are those rules at bay and let's bring together like-minded people because we are all like-minded people of wanting to add value and to show that we were committed into helping not only government, but the citizens that we serve, which is so important in government, right? And to make sure they're as protected as possible, that that was the driving force. And, you know, so it was make other people the champion, let us all be champions, but let other people and you know, if we can make um, state X or local government Y or tribal nation or, uh, you know, to, to be able to be able to shine, let's let's put the spotlight on that. We're all better off for it. Hey, well, yeah, your, your story of that, those early days is, you know, in a lot of ways, it, it mirrors the emergence of Homeland Security, right, as a as a challenge. You know, because I grew mm-hmm. up in the national security business, right? At, literally at the National Security yeah. Agency, and and you know, and uh, our our board member and your friend also, uh, Jane Lute, has a way of describing it, right? National defense is sort of top down, centrally managed, et cetera, et cetera, and, and Homeland is exactly the opposite. It's what you just described: organic, bottom up. You know, uh, it, it's not clear where your sensors are, right? Your sensors are the <laughs> entire environment, and so this collaboration that is much more horizontal than vertical. And uh, so you got to be the living uh, you know, example that sort of creates that model. And I think, you know, it's, it's uh, I'm assuming there was a, a tremendous amount of uh, foot leather worn out in the, in, in the old fashioned way of just making new friends and visiting. So, and I'll share with the audience here. Um, I, I forget exactly how we met, but I'm, I'm certain it was through our mutual friend, the late Alan Powler. And I don't know if you remember my visit up to see the early days of the ISAC up in New York state, but Somehow we got connected and I wound up coming up there and, you know, I'm coming from like a, I don't know, multi tens of millions of dollars NSA watch center. And I come up to your office and it's pretty modest, but you know, it's, it is really, uh, the people are very excited to be serving. And that was what really struck me was how organic and, um, bottom up the whole activity was. So yeah, about, about those early days then, I mean, was it sort of discovery along the way you're sort of making up the relationships and the, and the procedures along the way. I mean, because not none of this was written was written down beforehand, right? You know, after nine eleven occurred, I um, during those wee hours in the morning where we were all sort of sort of reflecting on our our, our, our next steps. What are you know? Again, we were all impacted so much, and and each of us in different ways. And one of the things I did during that I, I sort of mapped out on uh, literally on a piece of paper, a security, a cybersecurity, a digital security. I don't even remember back then. I don't even think we were calling it cybersecurity, but an information security sort of office and how that the digital, and I wasn't clairvoyant on, on the types of things that we all face today and, and the, the concerns of the challenges of, of our, our digital environment. It was more that we needed it. The light bulb went on, I think I said earlier, went on in my brain when our buildings in, in, in New York, when they were impacted by that, that horrible event, our infrastructure also got went dark. And so how do you make that resilient? How do you make that to ensure that as we grow in, in, in our digital um, uh, arena, 
that it, it's it's going to be there for you when you need it because we were so dependent on, on on all of that you know you know our banking and you know, our health and everything else so uh i was very fortunate i went to the governor and i said i'd like to to, to create this new entity and and it's it's cyber and it's would you uh, bless it and they blessed it so it goes to your point that people were excited because i had no budget there wasn't even a legal entity and they let me go off and about 15 people followed with me um, at non buy call, you know, people like, you know, Tom Duffy was at my side the whole time. We're, we're joined at the hip and, and, you know, all of these people who had so much to, to lose by going to this, this sort of bare bones thing that had no budget. Um, and, and did it not only willingly, I mean, Kathy Bennett, Margaret Morris, I mean, I can keep going on Krista Monti. I mean, all these people, Carolyn Comer. And I remember that meeting that you went to the first time you came, Tony, very well. Um, the walls were still wet. I remember uh, Alan Paller and I standing in the back. Uh, the White House came, which just pleased the hell out of me. I mean, we had legislators, this and that. And all I kept on doing is turning to people and said, please don't lean on the walls. <laughs> they were literally still wet. But we had staff who were on their hands and knees, uh, Ryan Kalkin, Shazad Mirza, and others who were helping us build the SOC, you know, that we were this operational center to help monitor and, and be able to be an early warning for for all of us and to, you know, to, to sort of shore up our infrastructure and our digital infrastructure um, on the ground, laying wires and doing all of this. It was just amazing. Um, and it was sort of was very organic. And actually, the screens that looked really good were just being run by a USB at that time. So they weren't even really connected. But, 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 it's, but no, I, I'm proud of that because what it says was we were not going to plan this to death. If we need to modify it as we go along, that's what we're going to do. We cannot wait. We didn't have the luxury to wait to say, you know, what is the ultimate way we want to do this and what is the ultimate end result? I kept on saying there's a there's a, a way of looking at, at planning. People, you know, looking five years out and ten years out, and this and that, and um, and sometimes they they set that path and they don't deviate from that path because it's been planned out, right? I've got A to B, and I got to get to you know five years out, I'll get to, to Z. Um, if we did that in the digital arena back in the day, we've been so far off course. This was a reevaluation. Now you don't want to be willy nilly and constantly going like back and forth, but at the same time you had to. I mean, be flexible and, and, and sort of see what, how this was morphing and how this was changing and how we had to respond to, to all of it. So um, very much organic. Uh, and I love it that it was organic. And, and there's a great quote um, is that out of chaos brilliance uh, is derived. And I think that is true. You know, that, that you, know, you have to look foolish to the crowd in order to, to, to do uh, have brilliance. And I think you just, we were all collectively, this is a collective effort, 1 million percent. Uh, we were all willing to do that to make it something better. Let me ask you, Will, could you give a little background on, so, so you, you know, this sort of building, building an aircraft that we no one know we needed until, until it was time, but talk us a little bit through the, um, the background of the merger into the center for internet security and sort of what, what, what was the thinking or how did that come about? Alan Powell, <laughs> so our, our, our love and, and somebody we yes, miss absolutely. every no, the common day. thread that binds so much um, of our work together, absolutely. 
and, the, and, and not just our work. I mean, the people that he brought together and the people that he supported and, and never uh, in the limelight on uh, a spotlight on him ever. So um, forever grateful uh, on, on, on to, uh, to him. Um, yeah, I just went off thinking about him, so I'm sorry. It's, no, it's, I, I, can't, it's, I can't blame you. I, I think, uh, <laughs> you know, so, so, the, so the common thread that's helped, helped bring us together was Alan, who was influential and uh, early, early supporter of oh, yours. Why did we go also, to Obviously, one of, we you know, proudly call one of our uh, founders. So what, what happened was I was embedded in New York State. I was running the New York State Office of Security. I was, um, we were, New York State had the multi-state. And again, I never saw this as politics. So I literally went to the governor's office and said, to the, the, the governor's senior advisor and to the governor, this should be spun off to a not-for-profit. You know, it's it's a national effort that while we always had in our head, it was always national, there was this sort of, it was in New York State, it was it was in, not in New York State geographically, New York State in government. And so it, it did it make sense? Were they willing to allow this to sort of be spun off? I got to tell you, to the the absolute amazement of 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 both from the what the governor did and what the senior staff and what the legislature did, they recognized the importance of it. They recognized the national effort that we were doing, and they not only blessed that being spun off for not for profit. We actually, there are revolving door laws in, in New York State. They actually, and those are sacrosanct. They don't get touched. They, you know, they're, you know, it, and, and rightfully so. You know, you don't want somebody to go out and profit from there. Uh, and so there's there's delays and times when you can actually then uh, do stuff back with with the government. The legislature actually gave us all who were moving out of that to the not for profit a waiver on all of that because it was for the greater good. It was for the greater government, not not the singular government, and that just so impressed me. You know that there was this recognition, and and um, that they were willing to do that. Um, so it wasn't actually going to be uh, a CIS. It was just you know I, I've probably been talking to Alan as I always did, as, as, as he was a uh, incredible mentor for me, and he said I got an idea. <laughs> Why create a new not for profit? Uh, you know, we have this other one that has a great reputation. You know, it's small, but so are you. Maybe we can just sort of like maybe bring it together. And I loved it. You know, why? I'm a big believer. Why create something new if something's already exists and there's this? So it was, it was again, very organic. And um, John Gilligan was the chair and, and Alan and, and, and Frank Reeder and all the others all supported it sort of immediately. And it was one of these uh, areas that, it just, you know how you, when something just makes sense, it makes sense. And it's just so, um, and we loved the mission of what CIS uh, was doing um, before we went over there. So it was a natural thing. Yes, it wasn't like, oh yeah, now we have to change CIS because, you know, we just want the, the shell. We just, we were so um, 
appreciative that it was going to be a good partnership as we came yeah, together. Yeah, one of the, as you said, well, one of the things that in hindsight was so obvious, like, but you know, someone had to make it obvious to us all, and it uh, it, it sort of has that mix yeah, exactly. of um, you know, the sort of operational. Point. We're in the fight with you, but we're also giving you the tools to engage in the fight, right? The benchmarks at the time, and then later the controls, <clears throat> and just having those two brought together, I think, really. Uh, produces produced something special at the Center for Internet Security, and uh, and I always bring up the story. Alex Sean will smile, but uh, the the third leg of this important uh, triangle is we're, we're a practitioner, right? We're in this fight as a company. We're a modern institution. Uh, Sean's days are consumed with dealing with privacy <laughs> regulations and, and all the things that come with being a CISO for a modern company. And uh, so when you pull all that together, right, this sort of organic, you know, touch every part of our nation with this sort of worldwide, nationwide advice giving with our own role in it. I think this, you know, as, as you look across the history of CIS, you know, it was really amazing. And the, the big step though, I think uh, rightfully was the addition of the um, multi-state ISAC, and it's, which has led to so much goodwill and so much good work also. You know, when you think of where we are today and what all of you have done in, in, um, enhancing that 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 sort of the the beginning foundation of what cis was both from you know uh before we were there and then with multi-state there um the impact it's having worldwide i mean it's not uh, you know a small not-for-profit in a very small niche it really is making a difference and, and again it just makes me uh very proud to have been a small part of that sort of evolution so absolutely well, my final question is around this. So with your original vision uh, of, you know, your, this organic growth from where it started to where it is today, um, did you have any concept that it would be what it is today? Uh, any thought? Was was that part of uh, your genius of being, I know what this can become, and then seeing it grow to where it is now? Was, was that in your mind at the time? I laugh because... You know, my name and genius have never been <laughs> together so closely. So, so thank you, number one. I'm going to have this replayed frequently. <laughs> so, Sean, I've got you on tape. So thank you. Um, you know, I'd love to say yes, but no. It, it's, it's, you know, for, first, this was very much about inclusion. Nothing was this about exclusion. So yes, in the perspective that we were not going to, Anybody who wanted to be a part of this and wanted to play in this arena with us to help improve what we were all trying to improve were, was absolutely uh, welcome to the table. So there was, no, you know, and again, you didn't have to be a certain level. You didn't have to be the CISO. If there were CISOs, you know, you didn't have to. You, it was, were you committed to being at the table and to, to, to wanting to improve what we were all trying to improve? So. Inclusion was a huge part of that. So yes, that would be. Um, but the, the, and I'm so happy that it is, it's expanded to the way it was. It was, you know, I think back when we were doing where it was going to be, you know, states first, then all, let's get all the capitals next. And then, you know, whoever else wanted to join could join. Um, and because I do believe, as Tony, you were saying, you know, this is a different approach. It's not a top-down approach. And that, and, and from, I think all our perspectives, when an incident occurs, it's always local, you know, regardless of, of the impact, the consequence. 
it's always local as well. And so the response is local initially. I mean, everything is so leaving locals at that level out made no, absolutely no freaking sense. They needed to be integral into this and they had to be, you know, valued partners and not, not hierarchical partners. They needed to be equal partners as we went forward. So, um, and, and, and the testament to all of you is the stickiness, and I'll use that word again, of the 16,000 plus whatever you have now, which is hard to keep organizations together, right? It, it is that we had the momentum, we had the sort of all of the, the, the you know, empathy of, of wanting to, to help after 9-11, uh, you, after many years later, 20 some years later now, you have that stickiness and you do have this, that you're providing value because you would, I, you would see people flying out of this, you know, very quickly just because we're all busy, right? And why do I need to sit around and, and help you guys if I can just go off on my own? I think we finally realized we can't do it by ourselves anymore. And that's, I think, huge recognition that we need to do this together and we need to um, uh, link arms and, 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 and not feel like we can go off and, and be isolated. Yeah, can. and that inclusion that you talked about, right, the, the, the attitude that you started on day one, I'll share with you. I had the earlier call today with, uh, I finally found the right person who runs the local tech council here in uh, lovely Carroll County, Maryland. That's uh, still a pretty rural part of the state. And um, we were talking about some of the things he's trying to do. He's, he has big interest in um, uh, food security, you know, working with local farmers who have suddenly found themselves digital warriors, you know, in everything from running their farm business to how their farm machinery operates. And they're feeling incredibly unequipped to deal with this problem. And we started to talk about, and, and Amelia connected them to the ISAC. And he's like, overwhelmed. But all this is there for, for us, you know, and free? Well, yeah, I mean, that, that's why it's there, right? It's to help folks like you that are in the front lines of our economy. And, uh, you know, that, that sort of personal touch, you know, the inclusion of it didn't matter how big or small our county was, you know, they're an equal partner in the, in the eyes of uh, a model of homeland defense. So I think it's just a real tribute to the work that you guys did. Well, yeah, and, go ahead, Sean. And all of us, you included, uh, Tony. Um, I mean, I mean, the position you held at NSA, and, and the fact that you would take time to meet with me just is a, is incredible. I mean, for a young kid at the time, I'm not any longer. People can't see. I'm in totally gray. But at the, you know, the, whole, the young kid at the time, taking us seriously to be, you know, in, in at NSA, meeting with you, meeting with General. I mean, there was it. It allowed for, I think, both the ISAC and the ISACs, all of them can be taken very seriously, which is really important. So I think that that was the added, one of the added advantages because government was really not associated initially at the, the non-federal level, at least, with the other ISACs. And then multi-state came along. And I think because of the, the attitude of all of us, all the states and all of the entities that were participating in it had this, you know, we want to be helpful and we, you know, we don't, we're not trying to look at the other ISACs and, and the companies that are associated with that from a regulatory perspective, but much more from a, how do we link arms and, and, and work together and, and, um, and, and to be a very integral now component of that national ISACs is really wonderful to see as well. Well, thank you so much, Will. And let's transition now and talk to Tom Duffy. 
uh, former senior vice president here at the Center for Internet Security. So, Tom, what role did you have uh, at uh, the MSISEC before you retired? I was the uh, executive director of the, of the MSISEC, so I basically oversaw all the functions of the ISAC and the liaison with the Department of Homeland Security. Wonderful. So we're celebrating, as Tony had mentioned, 20 years of the MSISEC. So, Tom, what was it like in the early days when it first started in New York State? The early days is, is kind of interesting. It goes back to uh, when President Bush uh, was looking to develop a national cyber strategy. And he charged Howard Schmidt, which I know Tony is very familiar with, as a cyber czar to go out and develop the strategy. So uh, Howard scheduled a series of town hall meetings across the country. They were co-chaired by he and Chris Painter, who at the time was with the De uh, Department of Justice. So they did a town hall meeting in New York City to meet with stakeholders to find out and to get input on what should be in a national strategy, what resources are people looking for the federal government, how can we better information, share information relative to threats and vulnerabilities and things of that nature. So we met with uh, Howard and uh, Chris in, in New York City, and we talked a little bit about what we were doing in cybersecurity in New York, working with these agencies. And then we had just recently started working at the behest of the State Homeland Security Advisors, working with the Northeast states, uh, developing liaison and contacts on the cyber side with the state. Wonderful. Wow. I mean... That's uh, talk about a brain trust, Tony. I mean, getting all those people sure, together to, yeah. to figure this out. That's amazing. We had an operations center where we were monitoring all the New York state agencies. You know, we're basically intrusion detection devices at their network perimeter. We would get the alerts and we'd do the, the notices to the state agencies. And when they talked about doing it to the uh, developing the MSI SAC, you know, one of the things that interested DHS was, gee, could you start monitoring other state networks and get us the intel from that so we can identify what type of activity is going on in state networks and which ones are real serious threats so we can work not only with the state agencies, but also work with the intelligence community. Yeah, I mean, th those days, I mean, the talent must have been pretty scarce back then, right? Because there weren't that many people really involved in this. And, and uh, so how did you get started scarce. with people? Mm -hmm. And we started out with uh, a contract. It was a four-month pilot contract with DHS, uh, and the DHS liaison at that time was Amit Uren. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> he, yeah. he signed the, the initial uh, no uh, grant that we had, and basically uh, it was a four-month you know, trial. What can you guys do in four months? You know, four months was successful, and then we got uh, a one-year contract to reach out to all the states. We hadn't done the local government piece yet, but... Uh, Fortunately, I was also the, the fiscal person for the agency that we had because we didn't get reimbursed by DHS for about 18 months, but we let that go anyway. <laughs> but the, the rest of it has been you. certainly a, a resounding success. And certainly the maturity level of the products and services that we uh, do is, has been uh, well recognized. Uh, the issues we had in New York was uh, when we started this, we were in New York State, we were a New York State state agency. Uh, but we knew to grow it, we really needed a way to get top talent. Uh, being employees of New York State, we could only recruit in accordance with New York State you know, civil service law. So if you wanted to get a bright kid out of college, you could contact them and say, yeah, go take this exam. You get your results in a couple of months. 
And in a couple months from that, we might call you in for an interview. Well, top talent, they have a list of companies looking to uh, uh, go to. So one of the first things we said was, if we're going to grow this nationally, we need to be outside of state government. And that's where we look for, how can we hook up with a not-for-profit? We didn't want to get into the profit side of it because that would make getting grants from DHS certainly very difficult. And Lou had some, Will had some exposure, Will Pulgren, with the Center for Internet Security. As you know, Tony, which was a very small organization back then. It was seven employees. But we decided to talk to them about maybe falling under their umbrella. So we did a series of uh, two, three, four, and five-year you know, fiscal pro forma financial statements on what it might look like. Because certainly uh, CIS didn't want to jeopardize their existence and their financial sustainability by taking on this unknown multi-state ISAC. So after uh, a series of months of negotiations, we decided to fall under the Center for Internet Security umbrella as a separate division. Yeah, that's amazing because I, you know, I was around. I, I, I joke, and it's, it's actually true. It's not a joke. I knew the Center for Center for Internet Security's employee number one when there was one employee. Yeah, you know, Clint Kreitner, and um, you know the, his early days were running on a shoestring. I mean, it was a very small. Even by the ten years later, in this discussion. Uh, it was a pretty small thing, a distributed company with, uh, you know, I think only two people lived in the same state. And all I ever heard was the, you know, there was a proposal to integrate in the MSI SAC into CIS. But I, I really appreciate that background because that. I'd yeah. And so when we did that, I mean, I was actually employee number 10. Clint was okay. number one. I was mm-hmm. number 10. As you know, we're probably well over 300 employees right now. Oh, 400 yeah. plus now, Tom. 400 plus now. And I, <laughs> yeah. I was number 10. Wow. That's so something. one of the first challenges we had was, you know, finding a location, you know, mm-hmm. on a modest budget. And uh, Will charged me with finding a location. Oh, no kidding. So, yeah. yeah so how, tell us the story. How we wound up on Tech Valley. So I, I went through basically the commercial leasing opportunities in the local newspaper and found a place over in East Greenbush. It was uh, an insurance company that was downsizing and was willing to sublease some space. So we went over there and we looked at it and it was sort of, made for us. It was uh, ideal space. It was nice space. It was was in a tech park. So our our first was a sublease from there to take over basically one corner of the first floor of the building. As you know, now we occupy the entire first floor of the building. Uh, But we just uh, did a part of the first floor of the building. And first we moved over without the operations center because we couldn't get that moved right away. So we still had the ops center writing out of our New York State office space and set up over there. And when we first moved over there, we obviously had to set up a network. We were first just working with cell phones. We had one printer, which was in Carolyn Comer's office, our our director of HR, and she was in control of the the printer. But from there, it just, you know, it grew from there. Uh, Our working with DHS, which is a tremendous supporter, uh, growing the MSI SAC every year, growing out the, the, the products and services, uh, growing out the space, uh, the initial uh, sock was a, a small area, which is now a, a conference room and uh, Reese Greenbush location, to building out the, the new uh, operations center, to building a, a secure facility right next to it. Certainly the maturity level has been tremendous over the years. Absolutely. I mean, such humble beginnings to where we are now, um, Tom. Wanted to ask, um, you know, obviously we're, we're standing on the shoulders of giants where we are right now, you being one of them and an integral part of the MSI sec. But 
what's been your proudest moment um, in reference to the MSI SEC? Well, I think what I'm proudest of is the sustainability. Uh, this was just an idea 20 years ago. Can we get the state and federal governments collaborating on cybersecurity issues, cybersecurity threats, cybersecurity vulnerabilities to improve the security of the infrastructure of our state and local governments? I mean, all the local governments are connected to the states. All the states are connected to the federal government. So it's really a three-tiered effort where we really need to reach out to every level of government and improve their cybersecurity posture in order to basically protect the information of the citizens and also national security issues. Yeah, Tom, I think Absolutely. that, that uh, that's a great point because I, I've often said that you know the ability to sustain attention and support is really underappreciated in this industry. You know, especially around the political machinery, where the, those names change every couple of years. Uh, you know, and the, these problems, especially when you're dealing with underfunded state and locals, are not problems that get solved in a day or a week or a month or even a year. So the ability to sustain that kind of support, build the long-term relationships, you know, kind of help people get on the right path long-term. I think you're exactly right. That is really the one of the really magic tricks here uh, is to keep this um, improvement you know, steadily growing, uh, helping people, because many of the states are also sort of growing their workforce, growing their technology, growing their processes. So yeah, we continually great, change great to meet the needs of the state and local governments and also meet the needs of what the, the Department of Homeland Security needed. Growing and evolving every year, every year reevaluating what are our strengths, what are our weaknesses, what is changing in cybersecurity? What do we need to do to change, to adapt to the changing trends in cybersecurity? And how do we need to expand our partnerships, not only outside of state and local governments, but with the private sector, which we did over time? Yeah, those are all great. How about any of the, uh, can you name any of the sort of early uh, state or local governments that were, you know, early enthusiasts or sort of helping to lead the parade? Yeah, we had a lot of big supporters out there. Uh, Elaine Starkey from Delaware was one. Certainly Mike Russo down in Florida was the initial ones. Uh, across the nation. And initially, we had to reach out to every state. And back in then, we're talking 20 years ago, I don't think the sizzle title even existed. So state aid, states didn't necessarily even have someone in charge of security, cybersecurity. So as we reached out, we were dealing with various individuals. One may be part of the, the CIO's office. Another one was a state internal auditor. Another was a state's uh, lieutenant governor because they didn't know where to put it and he had an interest in it. So it, and it grew from there. And as it developed, every state did formally designate a chief information security officer and it was easier to collaborate then. But then from moving with working with all of the states, what can we do with the local governments? Again, it's a maturity model. Every state had a different maturity model in working with local governments. Initially, nobody had any resources to work with local governments. But as senior officials learned about the importance of cybersecurity and the fact that all the networks are interconnected, it became easier for the states to develop strategies and get funding to work with the local governments. And we started working with the local governments. I mean, we're, I think, probably over 15,000 right now. I don't know what the latest numbers are. And this is going from zero. Absolutely. No, we're closing on on 15,500 members right now uh, and nearly a thousand sensors, Tom. Um, so given those numbers, is that a surprise to you that it's grown in the last 20 years or it's 
No, this is what we expected when we first started. I never expected big we surprise? would reach the volume that we have. Because a lot of people you talk about, well, we'd like to join this organization. Well, no, I don't have time for it. I'm, I'm busy. I don't have enough time for this. I don't know what you do. I don't want to know what you do. But we, we were patient. We uh, had a very soft sell. And once the people became members, uh, they would basically spread the word around. So our members were our best marketing people. They would tell other people, if you're not yep. working with this organization, you're crazy. They have tremendous resources. They can definitely help you out. They have no expectations other than you sharing whatever information you want to voluntarily share with them. But the information you get with them will be tremendous. So that was and how it grew really surprised me, you know, adding on the school districts and things like that. Uh, but also the critical service that we provided. And we're monitoring a lot of state critical infrastructure, uh, state operated uh, power plants, you know, uh, a lot of the major airports in the country that we're monitoring. So these are certainly of interest uh, uh, to DHS, identifying what type of traffic is going in and out of these networks to see if there are any cyber intrusions. Like you look at recently, there was the, uh, just a, a few weeks ago, uh, talk about a Russian network that was taken down. It had been basically infiltrated networks around the world, you know. So one of the things we would do uh, at the MSI SAC is we would work with DHS. We would identify the infrastructure that was involved, all the IP addresses involved. We would run those IP addresses through our database to say what state and local entities were being probed, what state and local entities may have responded to indicate they may have been compromised and then basically worked with those state and local governments to let them know the potential compromises. If they needed some additional signatures, we would make sure they got them. But we were sort of the, the clearinghouse. And also it, it evolved that we had staff down at the NCIC, which is the, the basically the DHS for the uh, cyber watch for all the federal agencies. And also the private sector is there. So we have staff on there that can work real closely with their federal DHS counterparts and with our counterparts in the private sectors, like this financial power, uh, retail, things of that nature. Yeah, that's, and Tom, that's a great example of, um, you know, for the states and locals, right, the, the concerns are very um, on the ground, you know, the, the safety of the water system or you know, the availability of power or whatever. But the, the really the, the growth of the ISAC then sort of integrates that into both the national picture, but also into the national machinery of threats. Right, the sort of big reach of the federal government to go look at the and certainly the, the elections scale. brought a lot of attention to cybersecurity and it's still going on. And uh, the development of the uh, elections ISAC, which is run by the CIS and it's part of the MS ISAC, and there there's no red and blue states, they're all state election officials. So there's zero, zero political, uh, you can't tell who's in a red state, who's in a blue state. Everybody is here for the common good to improve the security of the election systems. And then that's come a long ways. If you look back when uh, there was some Russian activity, uh, there was a, well, it's a public knowledge, the Illinois state network was compromised and they got access to the uh, voter registration rolls. So the first thing, and the DHS reached out to us and said, you know, did you see this activity? Well, at the time we were not monitoring Illinois. We're in the process of bringing on all the states. At the time, I think we're monitoring 29 states. And we could say that of those 29, I think 26 were probed by the IP address associated with the compromise of the Illinois network. 
It was a 185 dot address. It was uh, King Servers was the name of it. And it was a Russian uh, entrepreneur guy who was basically uh, organizing the, the infrastructure. But with that, we can tell the extent to which they were probing the network, which was pretty much almost 100% of the state election network were being probed. And we could build that out. And it's tremendous information for the intelligence community. Yeah, that's right. Because because the states are closer to the ground, they, they know what the actual target is and uh, what the implications of that loss are. Let me take you back. You, you mentioned the ISAC uh, gathering. You know, for me, I don't know if you recall, but I believe it was 2008, Will invited me to come out, you know, NSA person uh, uh, out there in the public and uh, came out there giving a, a, a talk to the ISAC. And I was just struck by that community, you know, that spirit that you talked about, right? All these underfunded, you know, super well-intended, trying to uh, you know, do um, really important work just as part of their job, but under, under fire. And uh, the amount of sharing, the camaraderie, the sort of shared, you know, what are you doing? What lesson can I learn? I thought it was just a tremendous experience for me coming at it from a federal perspective and all that, you know, both, both the sort of professional networking, but also the actual information sharing about what was going on. I, I really... Uh, really changed my perspective. I, I, if you remember, I even wrote it up in my blog about, you know, we in the federal side need to do a better job of sharing the stuff that we're doing uh, for for those that can't afford the kind of uh, defenses. That and one of the critical doing. pieces to success is, you know, uh, hiring really mission-focused, bright people that were dedicated to the mission. I mean, this was not just a job. This was a career. It was a mission to protect state and local networks. And, and everybody bought into it. So certainly uh, our recruiting process, our interview process that we developed allowed us to basically recruit and maintain some really, really talented individuals. I mean, you've been in our security operations center, you know, because sometimes it looked like a, a college grad school. We get these really, really super bright, super motivated individuals to work with us, and they were a big part of our success. Yeah, and that's a big part of the spirit of, of the center, right? This this uh, feeling of public service, right? That that it's uh, as you said, it's more than a job. And that was one of the challenges you know we would face with like sometimes working with DHS. This you know new leadership came in there, you know, every two years or so. It's just uh, sitting down because we were obviously a, a big expense in their budget, and they would have wanted to us to us to re-verify the value-add proposition, which we would do, and we're glad to do that. We understand that process, but uh, we had certainly didn't have to re-justify it internally. Everybody bought into the mission. Yeah, that's great, great stuff, Tom. And, and again, it's uh, we, as Sean said earlier, we uh, today at CIS we walk on the shoulders of the giants. And you mentioned a couple of them. You know what has always struck me about CIS is that people tend to that sense of public service. You mentioned like uh, Chris Painter and Amit. I mean, they're still on our board of directors. Yeah. You know, Will was associated with us, you know, even well after he was gone, he's still on our board. Uh, you know, uh, John Gilligan, you know, the late Alan you know, Paller. Alan Paller, who founded, you know, CIS. You know, Alan was, you know, no one can underestimate what his, what he brought to the table is in, 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 in establishing CIS and being a big supporter of the MSI SAC. Yeah. And so, so people, you know, who had who were in high demand, right? Name name folks who were doing great things, uh, made their choice to to be associated with the work that started, you know, with uh, seven lonely folks in the original CIS, and then uh, you and employees as employee number ten with the folks around <laughs> you. So, uh, you know, so that's more than a job. That this is a calling for lots of great folks. So we uh, we have nothing but thanks for the for the work that you did and all the great people that you mentioned and and the others that didn't get mentioned today. Any any other last thoughts, Sean? All good. 
good for me. I just uh, I thank you, Tom, again. Great talking to you. And um, I will give one of the lessons learned that I, I got from Tom when I when Tom was with um, CIS and I first started. The level of personalization he put into every single member, knowing their first name, families, and things, it was just a lesson in how you manage a community. It was, uh, and so unparalleled in that space. And just given your knowledge of the the recent attacks, your memory is that's, that's right. absolutely <laughs> phenomenal. And uh, so I just always, always use that mm -hmm. as a lesson. It is that level is uh, critical to success. Yeah. So. Uh, again, well, I was you, very fortunate to, you know, basically have this fall in my lap, you know, working with Will and getting the, this mission, uh, a mission that was super rewarding. I mean, very few people, I think, have the opportunity to have a mission that can impact so many people, impact so many lives and provide such a valuable services to entities across the country. You know, it says it's over 15,000 now that are benefiting from the MSI SAC on a daily basis. And it's it's just it's it's a great thing. I'm very proud of it, and I'm very fortunate to have been part of it. Yeah, and and you were part of the creation, right? Now, you didn't grow up dreaming to be a cybersecurity warrior because there was no such thing, really. I was a finance of... guy, exactly. So uh, <laughs> even uh, more amazing, all that. And as to echo what Sean said, yeah, the um, you know the saying there's a saying I use: the more high tech the business gets, the more high touch really matters. Yeah, you know, because People really in this complexity, the fog of more, you've heard my term, um, people need to find someone they can trust, right? That's both competent, but has the character to be there when they need them. And I think that's that's a lot of what CIS brings. And I think that really is a tribute to the leadership, to the culture that developed over time. And yeah, I was very fortunate said, that, really that we important. hired some very, very talented people. And, you know, <laughs> I would have them make the business case to me, oh, why will this service work? Why is it valuable? And I said, okay, guys, I'll look to get you the money and get you the staff. You guys make the case and go for it. And they would execute it, you know, and it was just a fun thing to do. Well, thank you, Tom. Such great insight into the history and great stories there about the MSI SEC. Now let's turn to Karen Sarati, Vice President of MSI SEC Member Engagement. Karen, how are you? I'm great, Sean. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. Karen, could you remind our audience your role at CIS? Sure. Um, I am the vice president of the Multi-State Information Sharing and Analysis Center Stakeholder Engagement Division. Wonderful. Now, that is one big business card. Yeah, uh, sure that is, is a long title. <laughs> <laughs> now, we speak of the MSI SEC because we have celebrating a 20th anniversary, Karen. And yeah. so wanted to get your thoughts on the past 20 years and now that you're with us uh, and as a former CISO of the state of New York, your thoughts on where, where MSI SEC has been and where we are now. What are your thoughts? So there's certainly been a lot of growth in MSI SEC over the past 20 years and um, a lot of maturing and um, a lot of benefit that, that's been seen by the members. It is truly a trusted cyber defense community. Could you elaborate on the community effort and, and the reason why trust has been built over these 20 years and uh, why we're so successful in terms of membership. Uh, I mean, like you mentioned, nearly 16,000, absolutely amazing. Sure, absolutely. So um, above anything else, the MSISAC is a 
um, member-led organization. So we have an executive committee that is made up of our members and they help guide us and, and um, um, put us on the right path for what the members need and what they what they want, um, what are their pain points in their organizations and, and you know what are they struggling to understand. So that's really important. And um, the the big thing with MSISAC is it is a community for cybersecurity professionals that that work in state, local, tribal, and territory governments. So that community is what drives us. And I think that's that's part of why we have such a such a trust in um, in the the um, governments that we that we serve because they are hearing from their peers. They are hearing from others who have been through what they have been through um, and have experienced the same types, types of things um, and may be able to help them down the road. So I think that's why it's really important. Um, the other piece of what we do that's, that's super important is that um, our threat intelligence is really focused on what is impacting state, local, tribal, and territory governments. So there is a lot of um, cyber activity out there, bad cyber activity. Um, and you can very easily drown in all of the noise of that um, by having an organization that really focuses on the threats that are specific to SLTT governments. Um, that helps um, take away some of that noise and helps people be able to be more effective in their jobs. And I think that's a, a real important part of the trust that our members put in us as well. Oh, absolutely. No, I mean, it's, I think one of the reasons of success, Karen, and again, you know, I've been with the organization uh, just over five and a half years and it's, you know, seeing that growth and seeing also the advancements that have been made in this space. And to your point is looking at the the threat modeling, as it were, for SLTTs, being able to then curate and manage a program that is effective. Uh, and ultimately, that, that's the best word I can put against it in terms of a control capability. One of the things we've also seen, Karen, is some advancements in the services that we've also been providing. I, again, I, you know, member feedback, our innovation and thoughts. Uh, how have we done that in such a short period of time to be able to augment current services with with new? Absolutely. So, so I, you know, one of the first services that MSISAC focused on um, going back at least 15, closer to, close to 20 years, is having a security operations center. So, being able to to monitor for threats and and alert um, state, local, uh, territory governments. But as you said, over the years. Our program is really focused on member feedback and the members telling us what it is that they need and what they want. And through that, we've been able to expand what we offer. Um, we've, we have a very popular intrusion detection system that is, uh, we're able to offer at a lower cost than, than some of the vendors out there. Um, our, as, as threats have morphed and grown, Endpoint detection has become incredibly important. Um, the threats are hitting the endpoints, and, and that is, a, that is a, a good place to try to eradicate the threats before they spread throughout your network. So um, again, listening to our members, we've been able to provide endpoint detection um, and protection services there. Um, we have the election infrastructure. So we are focused in, on what is it specifically that they need. Um, they're a little bit different from other uh, SLTT governments. So there's um, some vulnerability disclosure program in there. Um, we have also an endpoint detection service that's specific to them. Um, so it's, it's really through listening to our members, understanding what they need, um, that we are able to, to offer those services. And the other, an, another program that we run through the MSISAC is the Nationwide Cybersecurity Review. 
And that is, we facilitate that on behalf of the federal government. And that is an assessment, a high-level assessment of uh, cyber maturity throughout the, throughout the nation. And that gives us good feedback on, on where, what areas of cybersecurity um, our, our nation's governments are struggling with and where we may want to um, throw some attention to try to improve. Absolutely. And I think it's that element of improvement and that it's, um, I think ultimately, and, you know, we've discussed this before, but this is not a solved problem in terms of cybersecurity. There's an evaluation, a constant element of um, attributing defensive capability to attacker um, modeling and uh, ultimately the tactics that are used in that space and being part of that and obviously receiving feedback from the community um, experts such as yourself contributing to the program where we need to push maturity and being able to then utilize even the results of the NCSR. Uh, I mean, that is uh, highly attributable to some of the elements where we see, okay, there's weaknesses in these respective verticals. What can we do to contribute? You know, we could, um, in some cases, call the underserved or those that need assistance in the space to then provide capability to help um, you know, ultimately thwart or reduce ultimately risks of uh, compromise in these spaces. So Karen, in your time with uh, CIS, um, what are some of the moments that you that stand out to you? Uh, was it hitting 15,000 members? Um, what are some of those elements that you've been, oh, well, that is um, absolutely uh, a fantastic part of being part of the MSISEC, a leader, uh, and uh, obviously providing direction in the space. Any thoughts there? Yeah, so, um, you know, I think I, I mentioned before how MSISEC really is the community and that, that to me and I think to many of our members is, is the greatest benefit of it. So certainly one highlight from uh, the time that I've been here was was bringing back the annual meeting. So we had to take a pause from that during the pandemic. Um, in 2022, we, we brought it back after a two-year hiatus. And just the amount of um, networking, in-person interaction that went on there was was amazing. And it's, it always has been, and it was just great to see that come back. Um, you know, there's there's relationship building that you can do uh, virtually, but there's nothing that replaces that face-to-face. -face. So um, that was certainly a highlight um, for me. Um, hitting 15,000 members is, is very impressive, but more importantly than just increasing the numbers is making sure that our members are getting what they need from the membership, right? We, we often liken it to a gym membership. You can sign up, but if you don't go, it's not really helping you. So that's one of the things that we've been focused on in stakeholder engagement is making sure that uh, once people do sign up, that they understand what it is they can get from the MSI SAC um, and, and that, uh, you know, we, we try to figure out of the services and resources that we offer, what is most appropriate for their environment and what will um, have a measurable impact for them. So, um, you know, focusing on that is really important. And um, we're really looking forward to the next annual meeting, which is coming up in Salt Lake City in August. Again, um, we're expecting to have, I think last year we had about 600 members. We're expecting to have more this year. Um, number of great sessions for um, all, all levels of people working in cybersecurity and a lot of great networking opportunities. So we're really looking forward to that as well. Wonderful. Yes. I mean, they cannot miss in the SLTT community spaces this conference. And I know ultimately, I think every year it's, you know, break records of a number of attendees for, mm -hmm. for these. And it's, uh, 
you know, we'll be booking the whole Las Vegas Strip at one point, like <laughs> like AWS and the other uh, other conferences as well. So that's fantastic. It's always um, one of the things, one of the commentaries of those members that I talk to is, um, you know, it is that element of camaraderie and, that, you know, you're not alone. There are, you know, it's amazing how much emphasis is placed on the relationship and the community and being able to be part of this and meet up at the annual meeting and it's you know it's such a it's refreshing to see really in the industry where it's uh you know in some places there can be disparate elements as it were of uh, you know vendor relationship and things of that nature but it really is a true partnership in the space uh, and like you say a continuous development in the community sorry Karen no absolutely and it's one of the things i love about the cybersecurity industry is is it's you know it's not just in in government i think you see that across the board in both public and private sector um I think cybersecurity is it, it's a it's a large problem, right? So, and you've heard me say this: no, no one of us is going to solve it alone. So there's a there's a recognition of that and a recognition that we need to work together on this big problem, um, and you know the impacts that it's having in one organization, another organization can have as well, and one might have some suggestions on how to deal with it that another can benefit from. So um, there is a great partnership, there is great camaraderie. Um, we joke that um, in in many cases it's it's sort of like your um, you know support group, right? Because it's a stressful job, right? And and um, you know people are dealing with a lot of stress, and and to be able to to meet up with someone that's going through those same things that you are can be really beneficial as well. Oh, absolutely. And I, I I've said this before, and I will continue to say it again. One of the benefits of being in my position at this organization is the fact that I have, again, my own support group, right? And it's the support group of the support group. (laughs) So I'm incredibly lucky. You know, I get to talk to Karen as often as I want to. And it's just, it's amazing to be able to do that. And again, it's that sense of what we've, we live, but have also created, as it were, with the MSI sec, but we also live it internally. You know, we're we're sharing, we're contributing across, um, uh, business units, the, all the parentheticals that we have. And it's so interesting to see. And then the innovation as well. So Karen, what are some of the future elements uh, of the MSI sec? Where are the, uh, where do you see uh, and what is in the pipeline for the future of the MSI sec? Um, so again, we're going to continue to listen to our members and, and understand what their needs are. Um, certainly we're, we're paying attention to what's happening in the industry. So um, artificial intelligence, machine learning is, is big. Um, chat GPT is huge, right? So um, we're seeing that our members are starting to um, dabble in these areas and, and try to understand them. So wherever we can help, you know, we're here to do that. We had um, a session, I want to say it was maybe two weeks ago, where somebody actually had policies around ChatGPT or ChatGPT that they were willing to share. So that's, you know, that kind of information sharing and best practice sharing is another big element of MSISAC. So we'll continue to do that. We hold webinar series on um, migrating to the cloud because that's a big thing for a lot of um, municipalities that that they're trying to struggle with and and understand now. So, um, you know, taking best practices from those who have already been through that um, and can help uh, and sharing it with those that are about to go through that is is really important. So, again, we'll continue to keep an eye on the industry, try to bring together those with with knowledge, our subject matter experts, with those with interest, our subject matter interested, as we call them, um, and and um, trying to convene those kinds of conversations to, to, to help our members. So, 
Absolutely. No, it's wonderful. I'll give you one example of, uh, of one of the benefits that I saw. And this came out of our cyber threat intelligence team. Mm -hmm. And this was with Log4j. Obviously huge, you know, who's impacted? We, we have no idea, right? It, is it yeah. in our systems? Is it not in our systems? And some of the due diligence that was there and some of the feedback that we got on the work that was produced, that, you know, a beautiful workflow, a, a, a practice guide in terms of determining and then, um, you know, ultimately remediation and patching and it just it's a testament to i think just to one reaction time i think then it's also identifying you know respective threats of those that you know may not necessarily know whether or not and you know there were a lot in the industry that were like we have no idea if, if this affects us or not and you know it moves us then into the s-bomb type discussions and uh, you know some of the work in that space that scissor and nist and others are doing but it one of the things that I just wanted to allude to was the responsiveness from the community in terms of that sharing, in terms of, you know, in some cases, there's others that would downplay an effect in mm -hmm. this and what we do. It was such a celebration of the fact that it existed. Continue to do this. We, we'd love to absorb this material. We need this material. We want to see more of it. And it's just such an impetus and such a motivator to continue on, you know, this mission that was set 20 years, um, you know, prior um, for us to continue that moving forward. So, you know, given those motivations, given that impetus and given the great work we're doing, um, what do you see in the next 20 years, Karen, for the ISEC? Well, I think um, there's certainly going to be continued growth. Um, while while 16,000 is a large number of, of members, there's a lot more um, SLTT governments out there that, that are not members yet, right? So we're going to continue to try to expand our reach to help as many uh, government organizations as we can. So um, that will be important. Um, and then I think, um, you know, maturing the types of, of services and, and resources that we can offer um, is always on our agenda. So we'll continue to try to do that. Um, and um, continued partnerships as well. So, you know, we've mentioned that before. That's really important. So expanding the partnerships that we have with industry leaders, expanding our partnerships with federal government um, and even international governments, right, to try to, um, again, come to the best solutions for the types of problems that we're all facing. So I think that will be, uh, we'll, we'll definitely see that in, um, in the future for MSISAC. Absolutely wonderful. No, I, I mean, I think it puts us in a position where not only have we got a, uh, unfortunately, and I, I say this in, in not even in jest, but there is a cybersecurity problem that will continue. Yes. Ultimately, like you say, that there's, you know, this is not something solvable uh, in, you know, respective lifetimes, as it were. There, there's always going to be an issue in the space. There's always something new. So there's always something there's that we need to figure new. out how to secure. <laughs> exactly. For sure. Exactly. The adversary is always adapting, and so we mm -hmm. adapt with them. But it's, um, I think one of the things as well is the number of different communities in the local space that we're mm -hmm. also having an effect, the verticals there, the K through 12, the um, you know public utility, and, and just so many different areas of one where there are respectfully unique positions in terms of cybersecurity and underlying information security management. But then also the um, practicality of implementation also has different flavors mm -hmm. in terms of those respective verticals. Uh, Karen, we've done a lot of work in this space. And any commentary there? Yeah, I, that's another area that's really important to us. So again, you know, um, close to 16,000 members, that's a lot of people. But 
but as you say, um, you can give general advice, but it, you know, if you want to mature, you, you do need to get specific, right? And we saw that with the creation of the elections infrastructure ISAC, right? It was different people that we were dealing with. We had to talk to them differently. They had different needs, right? So we built um, that sector out. Um, our other, some of our other really large sectors, as you mentioned, is K through 12. K through 12 makes up almost a quarter of our membership. So that's a, that's a lot of organizations. They desperately need help and, and they're looking for that. So, but they have, um, they have some unique things that other governments might not, right? The, the school districts don't really get to set policy, right? That comes from boards of education and that kind of thing. So, um, so we've created a K through 12 work group for them where they can come together and sort of discuss those, those individual issues. And we're trying to do similar stuff for, for other communities. Um, you mentioned the, the public utility, that's really important. We're doing work with water and power. Um, and then we have, you know, we have counties, we have cities, we have towns, and, and they're all, you know, they all have um, things that are unique. So um, we are trying to uh, build those communities uh, to allow them to collaborate with one another um, with their like entities. Um, and we're doing that through a series of um, webinars for them. In some cases, we've been able to build collaboration through through Slack tools. And um, also in connecting with other ISACs that may support them. Um, so, you know, again, we mentioned public utilities. We've done webinars where we've included um, electricity ISAC or water ISAC um, so that we can start working together on, on, on those challenges that are unique to those communities. Um, and, you know, we'll continue to try to build that out as we can. Um, I mentioned the annual meeting before we do, we are gonna try to do some community sessions as well. Um, during the annual meeting, we'll, we'll be bringing together the K through 12 community. We have another session that brings together um, the uh, tribal community um, and, and one more that actually um, focuses back on, on our original members, the 50 state CISO. So, um, you know, we're, we are trying to carve out those little community pieces as we can because we do recognize that, that um, even though there is, there is, um, some general general generalities to cyber. Um, there's definitely going to be sector specific issues. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I think it's even, you know, in terms of reflection on some of the even product and services that we're able to mm -hmm. complement those respective verticals as well with uh, you know individual configuration and management of respective um, communique in terms of those organizations is and uh, again. It's just another um, element that I think adds to that community is that it's, you know, you're not alone, but you are in some cases, you know, in a respective vertical mm -hmm. that needs a little bit different curation. It needs a little bit of a different tone. It needs a little bit different approach uh, in, in terms of how you manage ultimately these issues and concerns. Uh, and it, it leads me to another element, and it's one that I participate in, but I wanted to get your thoughts, was the mentorship program mm -hmm. that we have. Um, I think that offers incredible value. Uh, what are you hearing back, and, and what are uh, some of the elements in that uh, particular program? Yeah, absolutely. So nothing but good things about the mentorship program um, I'm hearing. And it's um, it gives you it's, – it's, it's – um, it's sort of like another layer on on the benefits of the membership, and this one's you know it's pretty um, 
uniquely focused in that you actually have a person that you can talk to that is in the same or similar job that you are and, and maybe is a little bit farther in their growth and in their maturity and can sort of help you along. It's, it's, it's somebody to call, right? Somebody to have on speed dial when you're, when you're um, faced with an issue. It's one thing to have like a large community that you can reach out to, but to have a, a one-on-one -on -one conversation with somebody is, is really beneficial as well. So I've heard nothing but good things about our members, our, our leadership mentoring program. Um, again, that too, I think, took a little hiatus during the pandemic. So I'm really thrilled to have it back, as are our members. We hear, again, um, positive feedback all the time from the benefits of having that, that, um, that ability to have a mentor. And from the mentors as well, it's super rewarding for them. Um, they really Absolutely. enjoy that opportunity to give back to the community. Definitely, definitely. It's in my uh, my own mentorships, and uh, I've done uh, I think for the past three years now, or maybe it was three years, but we took like you say the hiatus yeah, uh, and sure then came back. But what we had was one of the things that I had um, worked with my mentees, but I said it's more of a partnership because in a lot of cases I'm learning from you as well. There is such great, um, you know, bi-directional information in those sessions. Absolutely. in terms of the questions that are asked and you know it, it leads me to you know ponder my own and even ask them questions in terms of um you know listed as a mentor but really it's such a great way just to uh, really get to the bottom of uh you know some elements of how have you dealt with this and you know how have you approached this underlying requirement or you know where are you in this compliance element or implementation of the CIS controls? What are you, yep. you know what technology is using in this space? And it, it's just so such a great um, cadence of review as well. It just it's like you say it's refreshing. I think it's rewarding, and I, I, it's absolutely informational. So if of any of those listeners that are able to participate, highly recommended. Uh, again, either as a mentor or mentee, it it's absolutely um, produces a lot of great value. Uh, across the board. So, uh, so happy that's back. Uh, again, uh, you know, the pandemic had put, um, you know, elements of things in delay, as it were, or on mm -hmm. pause, um, and we're able to bring those back. And uh, again, in a lot of cases, again, I think it's record again this year for mentorship. It is, yes. Uh, it, just, it just seems like every, every year, and again, maybe that's just because more members, but again, you know, we're at high levels of membership where, you know, the annual meeting, these mentorships, and it just adds such a, a great variety to the elements of communicating with you at your level, right? And the Correct. way you want to be communicated with. So in some cases, people are like, send me the emails, send me all the advisories. I'm in great shape. Thank you so much. And others are, you know, kind of want that personal one-to-one mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously that your team do absolutely phenomenal job in terms of stakeholder and, and working with our men, uh, members. Absolutely um, unheard of in some cases in terms of the level of customer service and the ability to respond and provide support. Uh, again, second to none and ultimately uh, will be biased, Karen. And we'll <laughs> say that's the reason for the success of uh, MSI Sec over the last 20 years. But it, obviously it's just so yeah. amazing to be part of. Uh, and to see uh, and just flourish, uh, yeah. I mean, it's amazing. Thank you for that. They, they, we do have a, a very passionate team who are very member focused and really want what's best for the members. And I think I see that throughout CIS, right? Everyone has a real passion for what we're doing and a real desire to help, right? So that's been very important. And uh, I think that that uh, contributes to, to why we've been so successful, sure. Absolutely. No, no question, no question. Again, I think it's, 
you know, and, and when, you know, CIS and uh, ultimately under the, the umbrella of CIS, uh, you know, the MSISEC was integrated, I think obviously the emissions so aligned, Absolutely. obviously the thoughts, the process, the, the reason why it made sense to, to find a home at CIS was uh, apparent in that space. So again, it, it just seems like such great synergy and we're able to do so much for each other. Again, because it is totally bi-directional in terms of the information sharing and things of that nature. It's just absolutely Agreed. wonderful. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Absolutely. Great place for MSI SAC to land, for sure. <laughs> absolutely. No question. No question. Now, the other element I was going to ask, Karen, was about our federal partners, how mm. important and, and mm. what that means to uh, continuing the great work uh, from the uh, with the ISAC communities. Absolutely. So, um as you know, we are funded through Congress and um, through the um, Cybersecurity Infrastructure Infrastructure Security Agency. Um, they are able to to um, help facilitate the the management of those funds in providing services to the state, local, tribal, territory members. Um, we work in very close partnership with them. Um, we are sort of uh, I'd like to say an extension of them, right? We are we are their operational arm, if you will. Um, so anytime that we are out on the road promoting what we're doing, we're also promoting what um, the CISA has available as well. And likewise, um, we are we are working very hard to um, to align our stakeholder engagement activities with them, so that um, you know from our members' perspective, from the state, local cybersecurity or state, local tribal and territory community, um, they know that, you know, a call to MSISEC is a call to CISA and vice versa kind of thing, right? So um, they're an incredibly important partner to us. Um, they they provide much of the intelligence that we get. And, and as you say, you know, think, these things are bi-directional. We provide intelligence to them as well that comes through our members. Um, and through that partnership, we are, are able to have a, a a much more secure nation, I would, uh, um, I would say, um, and just have a uh, better security for, for uh, the nation's government, um, you know, whether it be federal, state, local, absolutely. tribal, or territory. No, absolutely. It permeates, right, you know, mm -hmm. all the way through the federal levels, through the SLTT communities, you know, election infrastructure, obviously huge part of, uh, you know, the elements that we've seen there, again, um, Amazing, amazing work. And again, uh, ultimately, it aligns to the partnerships that we generate, you know, through curation of our membership, but also those through vendor, those through the federal government. And all of that coming together really creates a, a catalyst, I think, for one, better posture, two, better services, three, an improved experience, and then ultimately four, a membership community that should ultimately at the end of the day feel more secure right it's Absolutely. not solved but there's those elements of security being integrated that uh, really should leave us um you know the old adage oh, you know what keeps you up at night well hopefully this helps uh you know get you those uh, much needed uh, hours of sleep as it were with that uh, with our services Absolutely. karen bef before we adjourn anything you'd like to leave uh, our listeners with. Um, you know, I, I always tend to leave with the same thing. Just just know that you are not alone, um, that th this is a hard job. Um, we understand that. Um, some of us have been in those the same positions that you that you are in. Um, no one can solve the cybersecurity issue alone. Um, the threats are constantly changing. Technology is constantly evolving. So, you know, you really need to stay on your toes. And, and, and that's hard to do, especially when you have other 
other jobs um, that go along with your role. So um, I think it's really important for people to understand that there are people here that can help you. And that's that's what MSISAC and CIS is here for. Um, we wanna help make the connected world a safer place. We wanna help raise the security maturity of our members. So um, you can call on us and we will uh, do our best to either help or connect you with the right people um, that can help you. Um, and, you know, again, no one's going to solve this alone. We need these partnerships. We need these relationships in the cybersecurity industry, private sector, public sector, um, you know, all levels of government, our industry partners as well um, to, to really, um, you know, help bring us all along and um, help us not necessarily solve this, the, the cybersecurity issue, but get us into a better place. So again, so you can get those much needed hours of sleep. <laughs> well, thank you, Karen. A again, great insight into the current operations here at the Center for Internet Security and the MSISEC. Great insight, great thoughts, such great guests that we've had. Um, thank you, Tony, and to the audience. Thank you so much. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. And if you do have, uh, subscribe in all the usual ways. Make sure to uh, email your thoughts to podcasts at cisecurity.org. And with that, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the show today. If you are interested in learning more about how to grow your cybersecurity program, the free tools available to help you on your journey, or to get involved with the CIS volunteer community, visit our website at cisecurity.org. Start secure and stay secure.